Hello there, I'm Katrina Roundtree. Welcome to Journeys to Come. We are now going to talk luxury, specifically luxury lodges. And the reason for this conversation is very authentic. It's timely and it's the collaboration that we need right now. So would you please welcome Penny Rafferty, who is the Executive Officer of Luxury Lodges. Penny, thank you so much for joining us all the way from the gorgeous Barossa. Previously, as you well know, um, international guests would give you full bookings and international guests would quite often just go from one lodge to the next lodge to the next lodge. You want the best of the best. You want to have animals, wildlife on tap, boom, off to Southern Ocean Lodge you go. Um, you want to go and have the world's best fishing, boom, you're off on the true north. And, and, and life, life was full, life was busy with that international clientele. So if we educate the domestic market. Could you please tell us what actually constitutes um, membership onto this remarkable list? The lodges are much more than just a place to stay. So to be part, it's a membership association. It's owned by the members. It's not a, a sales group as such. Um, and to be part a, a member of Luxury Lodges of Australia, the lodges must deliver an experience of place connecting guests to that unique Australian region that they're in. So whether it is, and it, I kind of nickname it safari in Australia, whether it mm. is wildlife, desert, marine on the reef, a wine safari, an outback safari. So it's the experiences that the lodges deliver underpinned by all the soft luxuries that people expect. I know, I feel funny about using the word unique for these luxury lodges, because it almost implies, oh, what, it's like a crazy little crocodile park, or um, it is so much more than that one word. Yes, they are, they are, they have such a strong personality, all of their own, um, but unique just doesn't feel like it, it does this lodge justice. And I, I'm so careful almost to, to use the word lodge, because I know that, that True North is with you as well, and that's, that's an, another safari experience, as you say, um, and yet, and yet they they have such a strength of character. Is that fair? Um, absolutely. And uh, so, with True North, I call it a floating lodge, it, yes. because it operates as a a base camp for adventure off the ship. So, whether you're on one of the six expedition boats or the helicopter, it's every day, as as Tramby often says, is an adventure day. Um, but the, I guess for, for us, the luxury component of the luxury lodges of Australia, is, it's not measured in square metres of marble and bling and things. The true luxury is that exclusivity of access to amazing locations, Australian locations, but it is also that access to the, the knowledge, the skill, the craftsmanship, the um, the, the, the natural isolation in a lot of places that people will be craving more now than ever, but it mm. is that access to, you know, the guides. I call them the secret source. They, 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 they're the ones that really bring to life incredibly dramatic, vast, unusual landscapes. And the ex uniquely Australian component of each of those landscapes, I think, between the 19 lodges, they demonstrate the depth and diversity of what we have on this extraordinarily large island continent of ours. 
When I look through the list of 19, something that I find heartening and exciting and inspiring is that when I look at these names in a sense, possibly all of them wouldn't be there if it wasn't for one crazy individual, if it wasn't for one, one mind that, that regularly thinks outside the circle. And I, I love that about these locations. They are the antithesis of homogenous. And they, to, to me, they are a tribute to, to what can happen when, um, you know, one individual puts these crazy ideas out there and gets a whole group of others to follow them. Is that, is that fair? Completely fair. Um, and it's the meeting of those incredible entrepreneurs who experienced yes. a region and realised or were passionate enough about what it was that is compelling about that region to invest really deeply in very remote properties because they were passionate about the place and they wanted to share the experience of that place with, with guests, but in a way that they like to travel. So, you know, James and Haley and their creation of Southern Ocean Lodge on that dramatic Southern, Southern edge, which we, you know, can't wait for the Southern Ocean Lodge 2.0 to, to be built, which is on its way. But, um, you know, each person has connected deeply with that place and then gone, I want to share this, but in a way that knowledge-seeking, sophisticated, experience-seeking travellers will also get to connect with what is ever, whatever is special about each of those regions. So, yeah, great entrepreneurs, amazing people to work with. The locations on this list are considered um, the peak, um, the, the, the best of, of the best within Australia. Can you offer some advice tips or guidance to, to people that might be listening to this now of how you make it into that realm? What are they doing right collectively um, that, that puts them into that realm? Uh, absolutely. Location, location, location. There has to be a compelling reason to go there, not just to stay, but to do something. And so, you know, across 19 lodges, between them, they deliver 250 plus experiences that connect guests deeply with those regions all over Australia. More than that, they then partner with other businesses that are visible to guests. So there's 1,600 other businesses like gin distillers, winemakers, the marine biologists, the, the artists, the craftspeople that are all part of that guest experience. So it's a really rich tapestry of what each region offers. It also go, talks to their sort of sustainability story in that those lodges are then creating incredible rich or economic benefit to regions of Australia um, and sharing the love across those communities. So location, the depth of experience, you go there to do something. Um, and of course, underpinned by eat well, drink well, sleep well, but it's not about, as you said, they're not homogenous. It's not about having the same brand of champagne in the minibar. Many of them don't even have a minibar. It's an open on a bar, guest bar. It is about celebrating the region that they're in. So the food of the place, the, the wine and the other beverages of the place, the, the experience of place, the people of the place, the locals, the local flavour. 
How do they get their level of service right as well? So, for example, when you go on board True North, everyone's barefoot. Yeah. The, the team's in, in shorts and T-shirts. Um, uh, it's one thing to have that great location. I often say you can have all the bells and whistles with your building, but if you don't have, um, you know, five out of five in regards to your level of service, it, it, it doesn't mean anything. What are they getting right on the service realm? Definitely staff-guest ratio is, is part of that. You do have a high level of staff-guest ratio. So True North, you've got maximum 36 guests in 18 cabins. You've generally got a crew of about 20 to 22 people. And they are there to not just serve you, and Australia's style of service is very different. You know, we're, we're, we're kind of cheeky. We're, we're not servile um, as, as, as you would find in many other destinations. But it, again, it is about that brief that staff have to connect guests with the place. So the trust in their knowledge, absolutely that sense of warmth and welcome is critical. But also a, a lot of work goes into making sure that every staff member is intuitive about the different guest kind of types and how to draw them into that experience of place, that sense of place, um, as well as deliver the goods, deliver the meals, deliver the drinks, the perfectly mixed G&Ts at sunset on the beach as a pop-up or whatever it is. So the act of service is one thing, but it's that intuitive service and that intuition and that reading of guests, the emotional intelligence, so that mm. you match guest expectation with what you know is there in that region to, to surprise and delight guests. I love that you say that because when you dismantle um, and take luxury out of it, that actually doesn't have to cost a lot in the sense that's knowledge and that's sharing advice, trusting your intuition, as you say. So I think that it's heartening to learn um, underneath all of this and yes, the, the incredible locations, but still it's it gets back to um, Alla Wolf Tasca at, at the lake house, just knowing if if yeah. we can provide this amazing meal, they'll come. People don't believe me when I say to them, the Dalesford that you see today was it was one street with broken windows, highest unemployment. They had a obviously they had a they had a, a terrible suicide rate. This is what 30 years ago. And one woman really went in there and went, this is beautiful. Build it and they will come. I just, I love that um, we can genuinely say it's instinct. It's it's emotional intelligence, as you say, that leads to success. And Ella, Ella is someone I talk about, you know, her brief to her staff is, and obviously, there are lots of procedures and training that goes behind this. It doesn't just happen and, and individuals don't randomly go off with their own, you know, sense of what they think is intuition. There is guidance and leadership. But Alla, Alla's brief to her staff is, when guests arrive, I want them to feel as if they are literally enveloped in a warm hug without actually hugging the guests. Um, but you know, and the, the style of hospitality there is absolutely that. And you're right, Dalesford was pretty much an economic backwater before she and Alan started building. But they are a great example of that halo effect I was talking about. Mm. She has almost single handedly turned Dalesford into a 
foodie well-being mecca but fostered all of these small producers these businesses that are now thriving across the region and not only thriving but you know building australia's reputation for extraordinary high quality clean food produce ingredients beverages you know and that is just the sheer force of ala she's extraordinary I, I think that that's really important to celebrate, obviously, those individuals. Yes, they are. They have become great entrepreneurs in their own realm as well. But I love the fact that we can genuinely say, um, trust your intuition, um, share that knowledge, um, uh, learn as much as you can. We now have the challenge in the immediate future to tap into our Australian market initially. How do we do that? Uh, to be fair, just slightly more than half of the visitors and guests at the lodges were domestic. Mm -hmm. Obviously, everybody in the last 18 months has been domestic when the lodges have been open. And I think it has been, it's been really refreshing to get feedback from Australians who I know would normally travel overseas two or three times a year, who have genuinely been surprised at the diversity and the quality of what we have here. They're our ambassadors. We've now got a, you know, a lockdown or pandemic generation of ambassadors who I hope will actually not only speak to their friends here, but also speak to their friends and people they meet when they're traveling further afield. I think there's... Um, all of the things that have been at the heart of Luxury Lodges of Australia since day one, our natural isolation, small numbers of people, high levels of service, incredibly surprising diversity of experiences and high quality experiences. All of those things are more now than ever what people are looking for when they travel. Um, so I think domestically, there is a, a bit of an awakening. There also, there are a lot of people who, yes, they will still travel overseas, but there, there is a heightened sense and respect for safety and security, as mm. well as this heightened awareness of what we actually have here. I, and I'm, I'm, comf I'm very confident that a lot of Australians will continue to discover what we have in Australia because they've now got a taste of it. And I've got a few more of those luxury lodges junkies carrying around my little white book. That's so true. And it's something that we completely take for granted that within Australia, that level of safety and security, who knew that that is a calling card for us? Obviously, um, it's majorly pushed in New Zealand, as we well know also, but I didn't even think about that aspect when you compare it to you use the word safaris, but possibly safaris in Africa, in uh, in um, the Caribbean locations. There, once again, you can have all the bells and whistles, but it's a it's just a whole lot of elements coming together that lead to success. And you're quite right; that is something that we almost take for granted in Australia, isn't it? It is, and I I, mean, I love to talk about Australia being safe but adventurous. So, and particularly mm. with the, the guided aspect of the lodges, you, you're in the hand, you know, and again, those the crew on the true north, many of them are young, they're in shorts and t-shirts, they're tanned, they're the epitome of health. They've got the, that 
Kimberley coastline in particular, almost etched into their DNA, and they just want to share it with you, but you feel safe with them in one of the most wild and remote parts of the world. You, um, the, yeah, it's, safety and security has actually been one of Australia's top drivers of destination choice for a long time for international guests. But I think the, um, you know, post-pandemic, the friction in travel, when people are planning travel again, there will be some friction in travel now that wasn't there before. So, you know, whether it's testing, whether it's quarantine, whether it's, um, you know, being caught, fear of, you know, getting stuck somewhere because there's mm. another outbreak of, of COVID or something. And, but the, the complexity around travel is going to increase. And I think for some people, it'll just be a case of we can wait a little bit longer. So let's, let's travel at home or they will just travel a little slower and linger a little longer in places so that they're not having to do as many border crossings or as many airport transfers or, you know, they'll avoid the friction in travel because the only thing that people don't have more of and can't make more of is their leisure time. You know, it's, it's a non-renewable mm. asset and people don't want to waste it. Um, it's so interesting that you say um, that's, that's uh, a new luxury in a sense that that, that slower form of travel um, uh, uh, has come to the fore and that is something that these lodges do naturally and so beautifully. Could we just have a little bit of fun, please, Penny, and just tell us a little bit about some of the personalities of these 19 locations. I've done about half on the list, um, but there are some, if it's okay to mention, I, I, I don't really know a huge amount about, for example, Mount Mulligan Lodge. So Mount Mulligan Lodge is the newest of the lodges. It opened in April 2019. Uh, it is in far north Queensland, just over the Atherton tableland. Uh, table so you helicopter out from Cairns or drive. When you helicopter out, you, you, you see this beautiful limestone, 18 kilometer limestone escarpment approaching and you land just under that. The lodge is there, it has 10, 10 suites only. It is on a 28,000 uh, hectare working cattle station, but very lightly stocked. You've got that landmark that pegs you there. You know. For me, there's always that moment of arrival at a lodge and with that moment of oh, when you really know that you've connected with a place. So for me at Mount Mulligan, it is that escarpment. It's a solid lodge. It's all heavy timber beams and upcycled timber beams and rock and glass. Beautiful pool looking out over a freshwater weir. Beautiful. But what do you do there? Why do you go mm. there? It has one of the, uh, uh, an old gold mine, which is fascinating to go and see. And there's a local guy, um, Bailey, because you talked about the personalities. Bailey is a young guy from Mariba, and he's a local guy, only in his early 20s, I think. He has sort of restored and got back into working condition, this old 1920s rock crusher in the gold mine. And the joy in his face when he gets it going for guests, he's, you know, and he's, you're in this old, you know, barely has, has not sort of, you know, really old gold mine. It's just a pure joy on his face. When he gets it going, guests see the rocks being crushed and really get a sense of what was life like back there in the, you know, the 
late 1800s, early 1900s. Oh. You also have um, an old gold mine, uh, coal mine, and it's this, the Mount Mulligan coal mine was the site of one of the, a, a really terrible accident, and it, um, which I won't talk too much about. But the, to go through the old village and the old coal mine, again, takes you back to an era of Australian is a really rich story. There are also all-terrain vehicles. There are buggies to get around. There's guided hiking. The all-terrain vehicles are, are hilarious. I defy anyone not to slightly tap into their inner Mad Max when they get behind the wheel of one of those things. Because you're going oh, along you the... You've 28,000 acres. Yeah. I mean, the, the experiences the experiences that you could have just, just within that. I know not all of these places take children, it's, it's adults only. Um, and I think that with Capella Lodge, um, Qualia, um, uh, which one would you recommend for families? Surprisingly, most of them do take families, but the, and there's a really useful page on our website, which has the child policies for every lodge for people. So when a child policy is there, it's not because it's an adults only um, place. It is because the experiences are, the children need to be there at an, an age that is appropriate to experience the place. So if there's wildlife or there are, there's water or, um, you know, whatever the experience of place is, kids need to be at the right age. Mm. So um, there are probably, there are two stand, well, three actually, Mount Mulligan is one, great for family outback adventures. Walgan Valley, Emirates one and only Walgan Valley. So just outside of Sydney on the, in the Greater Blue Mountains. Family friendly, they have a junior rangers program. So Walgan Valley is 7,000 acres, private conservation land, 40 independent villas. Um, so, you know, and there's two two bedroom villas and one three bedroom villa. It is a conservation zone. So you've got a, a team of guides, field guides and conservationists who are constantly, um, building habitat, helping restore the property to its original state. And they have a junior ranger program, which is fantastic. Kids go off with the, with the guides to actually learn about building habitat, planting trees, learn about wildlife, conservation of wildlife, um, and, you know, stargazing, horse riding, loads of different... Great, great horse riding, yes. I know a lot of people absolutely love the horse riding there as well. Which one do you think that the that you know borders are down you can go anywhere to to these places which one for you you would you be dreaming about it's, it's a really difficult question is it that See, fair? That's, that's like getting me to choose between children um there, yeah. <laughs> do I have a favorite child um I don't have a favorite child Every, I've, and I have been lucky enough to um, visit all of them um I think it's going to be a really cop-out answer my 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 next one I'm dreaming about is the one that I'm going is the next one I'm going to, uh, which happens to be uh, Salsalis at Ningaloo Reef um, next week. Pending. Do they take children? It does take children. In fact, my daughter my daughter learned to snorkel there when she was eight. We turned and this is a great um, example of you know the secret source, the guides. We turned up there. My daughter Matilda was eight. 
the guide was showing us around and then she fitted us out with um you know wetsuits and and all the and flippers and fins and all that kind of stuff and then said come on let's go and snorkel down the reef and the thing about sal salas is you step out of your tent and within you know you walk down to the beach and you can within 10 meters be snorkeling over ningaloo reef it's where the outback meets the reef ningaloo it's the third longest fringing reef in the world and the reef comes right up to the tip of the mainland at that point. And so we- And what is, what is one of the few things that you will find there that there are only possibly three places on the planet that are in these particular waters? What is Ningaloo famous for? Ningaloo is famous for swimming with whale sharks and with humpback whales. Um, whale shark season is April, May, June. Humpback whale season, July through to about now. Fingers crossed, you never know what I might be doing next week. We're, we're coming into the world of luxury lodges. Um, how do we navigate your space? So we we go to the site and we you, you mentioned that, that there's a list of everything. How, how, if we're new, how do we do this? Pretty easy. If you are, you know, in Australia, the website is a really easy reference for you to kind of figure out what what's my style so you know each individual person has different likes different hobbies different adventures that are on their list so mm. if you're a hiker or a water person or a, a, a desert person there's a it's a really easy to navigate sort of resource to go that's the one that appeals to me there's also a resource on there that um, filters all the different experiences by season so if you're tied to a particular time of year and you know that you can only travel at that time of year, you can find out what's on where and what 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 what, what do I do? When is mm. the time for bird watching or swimming with the whale sharks or uh, vintage festival in the Barossa or you know waterfalls. waterfalls, you know, all of those things. So there's a what to do when. Um, again, it's a filter, so it shows where where you can go at this various times of the year, what will the weather be like, what can you do there then? There's also, um, you know, the family-friendly um, guidance on how to assess the opportunities by your own sort of likes. You know, are you family-friendly? Is it romance that you're after? Is it well-being? Is it active? What, you know, what's your style of travel? So again, the website has got a lot of really easy ways to filter the options for you based on your own preferences. And tell me a little bit about, about the group itself, because you, you are right in amongst the most remarkable individuals who've come together with, with these establishments. What, what's that like? It is an absolute privilege and it's really, it's beautiful. So we formed in late 2009 and of the original 15 properties that were part of Luxury Lodges when we formed, it, here in the Barossa, actually, um, all of the lodges bar one, which isn't operating now, uh, are still members. So 12 years later, I think that's a great testament to the camaraderie. It, it was uh, launched in the Barossa in 2009. What's the location around you that makes your heart sing? Oh, I'm, I'm a walker, so several times a week I walk out of my front gate and up into the Barossa Ranges, the Barossa Hills, and 
you know, it's, a, it's my moment of observation of changing seasons of the day. I try to capture a moment of beauty every day. Annie, you're so fortunate to live where you do. How, how did you end up living in the Barossa? I came down to help restore and reposition a heritage winery. And then Jim Carricker, the owner of the Louise, um, um, asked me to go and be the general manager there while they were rebuilding, gutting that and rebuilding it. And then Jim and I talked over many a glass of Shiraz and <laughs> said, you know, how do we market this to the world? The perception around Australia needs to, to be brought up to speed with where all of this incredibly exciting investment is. So we invited the other lodge owners to come to the Barossa to say, let's do something collectively. Penny, do you think that there has been a silver lining from all that we've experienced over the last 18 months in this realm? What do you think it is? Oh, listen, I, th I, I genuinely think that there, is a, there are a significant number of people who have re-evaluated what they value in life their health, their well-being, and their family, their connection with nature, and how that re-evaluation connects to travel, I think means that people will look at the value proposition of these very deeply connected experiences in a different way, because it is an opportunity to connect with family, with well-being, with health, with, with place, with nature. And they will value that more. And, and hopefully we've broken a little bit of that cycle of the what's the, you know, what's the deal mentality. Mm. And we've been able to have that mentality because we've had such a wonderful buffet to choose from with this international selection. So people can go, as, as you say, you know, what's what's the deal? What's the deal? Is there is there a great deal? Now it's a reevaluation of time, as as you say, and and okay, if, if because planning's gone out the window, it is a slowing down of time, and it is about celebrating that moment and making the most of that moment together, isn't it? Absolutely, but also celebrating the protection of the very things we travel for, the natural environments, the wildlife, the beautiful reefs. There's, I think there's, a, there's been a reassessment of what is the value of those things and, where, where, and what is the power of my holiday dollar? Mm. You know, I, I, I want it to be a positive impact, not an extractive impact. The other one um, I wanted to ask you about is Bamaroo Plains. I, uh, where's that one? Bamaroo Plains is in the top end, so adjacent to Kakadu. It's the Meru River floodplain. Bamaru is a, um, it's a 10 sort of 10 wilderness bungalow um, lodge on the edge of the Meru River floodplain. It overlooks, it's got about a, it's on a 70,000 acre buffalo station, but it is also the breeding ground for magpie geese and incredible diversity of bird life. So you, you really are on safari here. It's, it's, it's modelled on an African-style camp, but Australian version. It, it's about a 25-minute uh, small aircraft flight out to Swim Creek Station. You land on the station. You're picked up in the open-top um, safari vehicle. You go to the lodge, and then you click into safari time. So you do activities early in the morning and late in the evening. 
airboat safari rides, you know, the, like um, on Skippy, the airboats that scoot along the floodplain. Um, yeah, yeah. Or quad biking, guided um, wildlife and bird life and nature drives in the evenings. And then you hang out at the lodge by day, sipping a glass of rosé or whatever, looking out over the infinity edge pool. And you have the tiny little agile wallabies, which are these tiny little delicate wallabies having little punch-ups and you've got the corellas squawking in the trees above and you've got the buffalo rolling in the mud, bird life everywhere. And the whole camp is set to connect you with the sights and sounds of the bush around you. It's beautiful. Restorative. Yeah, all of mm. them are restorative. No, mm. you, you go to Silky Oaks Lodge, you know, within half an hour of listening to the Mossman River come through the Daintree, I, I always notice my pulse has just slowed. My heart rate literally slows within about half an hour of arriving there. It's um, a healing place. Mm. And that's that's exactly what you were talking about. Isn't that right? That um, if, I've, if, I, if I'm just going to pick one, I want to I want to go and I just I just want to I want my my, my pulse to uh, to be altered by this experience. I think possibly Australians um, are learning to redefine uh, what they think of as a safari as well. Actually, internationally, you'd, you'd find that as well. And I remember going to um, um, Denali National Park, which is in um, Alaska, and, um, and they've got a, a top five. Um, safari there as well and I remember a lady going where are the lions <laughs> and it's like no 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 no, no we're, we're in a different part of the world <laughs> and this is what we can offer you in this part of the world but you can still have a safari yeah well that, and that, to be honest that goes back to your comment around unique and I don't I hate the word unique and ultimate they are unique uniquely but Australian is, is the context. So it's genuinely, uniquely Australian. So the, the, you know, pretty beach house, the crackle of the coastal bush with the smell of the eucalypts and the kookaburras and the trees, you know, you couldn't be anywhere else except Australia. Bamaroo Plains with the crocodiles and the buffalo and all the bird life and the, you know, the sounds are uniquely Australian. The, um, mm. you know, the Barossa, kangaroos in the vines and, and eucalyptus trees lining the edges of the vineyards. How do you get to be a part of the group? Are you selected? Um, it, there's an application process. So um, you have to be operational. So someone can't come to us and say, I'm building a lodge, um, can I be a member? You say, yep. Um, very often people who are making investment in a lodge style property will call me and say, listen, I'm building What's my criteria like it to be that. Yeah. So generally small between four and 40 rooms, although Qualia is 60 pavilions. So, you know, it must be in a location that has something extraordinary to go and do there that, that yeah. really showcases an Australian region. Um, must have that delivery of experience that is part of the lodge offering. So more than just a great hotel concierge. Yeah. Uh, must have you know doesn't have to have a destination restaurant but must have those super high standards of eat well drink well sleep well but it doesn't all have to be super schmico um brand new um architect build like welcome valley or southern ocean lodge or sapphire it can be a luxury camp 
usually there's a, a balance of the more remote and the more safari camp style it is, the, the higher the degree of focus on the calibre of the guides and the extraordinariness of the experiences. Mm. Um, so, yeah, eat well, drink well, sleep well, small numbers of guests must have that sort of communal guest area. So quite a lot of villas, for instance, go, oh, we want to be a luxury lodge and be listed on your website. But they can't because they're not, they're not fully hosted. There, there isn't the guiding and the experience element that is part of the stay, but also that blend of mm. shared experience. So one of the things about Bamaru Plains, at the end of the day, you're at a table with maximum 18, 20 people, and you've had all these shared experiences. And you might have someone from Argentina, someone from the US, someone from the UK, someone from Darwin, someone from Melbourne, and there's this shared experience happening. Um, and that is part of the lodge experience is that sharing of the day's adventures by people who are not defined by where they come from. They're defined by how they choose to spend their holiday time. Um, mm. And it's that shared experience. I mean, you've done that, you know that when you're out at the end of a day of safari and you're all around the campfire or, or around a dinner table, the stories that you share with people who that this is what you have in common. It was those characters that we'd come come back barefoot at night, have a drink on the sand maybe, and, yeah, you, you're quite right. It's interesting for you too, Penny, how you've become um, the, the font of knowledge with uh, I've seen what can create success. I can tell you what's on the list, but then but then you need to, to take that and create something with your own, infused with your own personality as well. I think there are travellers and tourists. And I, I think the other thing about the yes. pandemic is that the travellers are the ones that really are going to go, I, I still want to do that. And potentially the tourists are, are, who used to travel because they thought they should and they could financially mm -hmm. are probably the ones that are going to go, do you know what? We are just as happy buying a beach house down at Jarvis Bay and going there every holidays. We, yeah. we don't know why we used to run around and try and do all of that stuff because did we actually really enjoy it? Not, not so much. So true. Yeah, that's so true because um, a couple of weeks ago we had um, a woman on the show that, that um, has gone with her hus husband to Saudi Arabia and, um, and he got a job to help set up all of the museums, um, the art, art spaces, um, and... Uh, and I know that, for example, Scenic are setting up these trips to, to connect with Jordan. And, and she was like, my God, it's just the most extraordinary location. And she said, you just wait, Katrina. I, tourism really will go off here. And I just thought that is a particular kind of traveller that, mm. that will be interested, that will make the effort to go and will be rewarded so greatly from learning about a culture that we only know of from the six o'clock news, really. And yeah, you're, you're quite right. We also equally know people who, who you know, how beautiful is Tasmania right now? <laughs> and, you know, and, and also it's an argument from local premiers who, who are reaping the benefits of people going, I'm cool with my own backyard right here. I don't. I don't need to cross borders or literally go internationally. That, that friction, I mean, a bit like after 9-11, that when heightened security meant, you know, there was greater friction in travel when you were trying to fly anywhere post 9-11. Security took a lot longer. 
you know, increasingly we had to take more and more pieces of clothing off before we could clear the right. x-rays. Now, bizarrely, we're all going to be wearing masks. Who'd ever thought that? And, yeah. and there, but there will be greater friction in travel, the PCR tests, pre and post. And, you know, so it'll be really interesting to see the um, operators and something I'm talking to the lodges about now who proactively sort of engage a, a local medical centre or a doctor to come and, and make take that friction out of the process for guests who are having to, you know, have tests on days, whatever, whatever. Um, so yeah. I think that that will be a new whole new layer. Well, there is definitely strength in numbers. So Penny, thank you very much for, for sharing your beautiful slice of life with us and, and also for, um, for offering those tips and those guidance to people who are so at the other end of luxury and yet they still aim for, um, for owning that, that realm of the market that the person coming to stay with them wants to have the most extraordinary experience. So we're very grateful for your time. Thank you very much, Penny. And we'll go straight to the Luxury Lodges website to find out more information.